Vigue. Goons. Touch of all, Joe. It's only game. Hello and welcome everyone to the show that gets people talking about something else. This is Big Shining Goons and it is episode 14. I'm your host Thomas and with me today is the host of Locked On Canadiens, Laura Saba. Laura, how's it going? It's going great. I do have to correct you though. I am the co-host and the reason that I say this is because my co-host is super jealous that I'm doing this podcast right now. <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I'll have Scott, uh, I'll have Scott on after, but uh yeah <laughs> we'll uh we'll, we'll talk about some music later but uh yeah it's well that's always the confusing thing too like are, is it host is it co-host is it like two hosts like you never know yeah and so like the way that it works with us is that we decided early on that we were gonna divide the work equally divide the responsibility equally and it's worked out so well so far that we're you know it's it's been almost two years that we've been doing this and neither of us has wanted to kill the other once that's always a good sign right <laughs> yeah i honestly i always say it you know like when you're a woman walking working in sports it's really important that the men around you like treat you as an equal partner and i've just been so blessed to have to have that working relationship with scott and honestly like that was the thing he was like you're gonna be a big shiny goons oh my god <laughs> and, and and in fairness like he does have a lot going on with the playoffs and him having three jobs and stuff but uh <laughs> you know i i, I was just kind of a little bit smug there I mean, I'll I'll get Scott on later to maybe talk preseason or something. Get uh, has fans' hopes up uh, once again to get let down. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if you're the more positive one of the podcast or he is. But um, we'll talk soon. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what you kind of have to try and be as positive as you can while being fair because you have an audience and you you don't want to bring your audience down, right? But the Habs have not. They, they've <laughs> underperformed this season. I think that's fair to say. And at the same time, they've got some good pieces and they've got some fun things going on in the future. Like, you know, their young core is, is going to be pretty great. If they can get their mentality and philosophy going in a different direction, I truly think, you know, it could be good. So that's that's kind of the thing that we try and hammer uh, hammer on hard on the podcast. We can't just be doom and gloom. And and it's, you know what, like if, if you've got good listeners, if you've got a decent uh, relationship with your listeners, it, it works out really well. I, I, I did not expect it to be this, I don't want to say easy. Uh, it, it's hard to do five days a week of, of Habs coverage when the yeah. team isn't that great, but it's worked out really well in terms of our rapport with other fans, other media, other podcasters. And we're really lucky in that respect. Yeah. Like I was even thinking, so I had, I had, um, I had Sean Woodley on earlier um so and he he did the locked on raptors of course and it's the daily raptors podcast but it's like and we were kind of talking about just coverage of like every every single day kind of just what to come up with um and i feel like in the montreal market it's almost like it gives you more to talk about because of how crazy the coverage is there sometimes like do you feel that way oh yeah absolutely and and sean woodley incidentally is the one who recruited us to uh to do right. this right he's our like he's our boss basically or our immediate boss uh and honestly with the canadians if we don't have a canadians thing to react to 
we usually have a Canadians thing reaction to react to. And it's 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 super uh, interesting because we have five days a week, right? And you know you can't appeal to everybody. You can't do the same show five days a week. You can't appeal to everybody on every show. So we try and mix it up and we'll have something for everyone. So we try and do something to do with analytics and, and we always try and do something silly. Like we do try and incorporate things like, you know, which Canadians player is like which Lord of the Rings character, things like that. Um, and, and you, you kind of, you have room to do that. And when there's a game, you just recap the game, right? We have a weekly mailbag. People can ask us anything if, even if it's like food or travel or anything like that. And I think for me, the most fun ones though, are when the Canadians play well, because you can feel our energy, just enjoying talking about it. Like what this guy did great or how great, you know, that, that goal looked or, or even like little tiny plays and things like that. And, and those episodes despite the work we put into other ones those episodes are always the ones that do the best i think people just kind of communally want to enjoy the the canadians wins and just relive the good things about them and that goes for you know a preseason game all the way to obviously uh, a playoff game and and it it's easier than you think. I think for us, the hard parts are when there was the, the COVID, the COVID break was so long. We didn't know how long right. it would be. And there was no news, right? It's not like it was off season and trades were going on or, or, you know, uh, they hired somebody or they fired somebody or it, it literally was just nothing. So we had to come up with history to talk about. We got really lucky in that a couple of, uh, of, uh, prominent hockey hockey writers agreed to come on our show and talk about stuff and you know when the Habs actually were sort of given a free pass into the playoffs uh after that COVID break <laughs> that, that we we lucked out right like we we know it was for money reasons it's a big market and and we lucked out they did well against the Penguins we had we were able to grow our fan base a little bit more uh but honestly I think I think it's going to be interesting for us to see what happens after the Canadians are eliminated because hockey will still be going on. It won't be the draft yet. Not everybody will be in the same situation. So for us trying to talk about things and while there's actually still hockey going on and trying to make it about the Habs, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes and if people respond to that. Yeah. So are you, are you, is that your prediction and they're going to get eliminated soon? Is that your official stance? <laughs> My official prediction was recorded on the show. Uh, we both said, actually, Scott and I both said uh, Leafs in six. Uh, we, okay. yeah, I mean, it's it's the Habs, right? Like it, it, people saying, you know, the Leafs are going to sweep them or whatever. You're looking at the regular season record and and the underlying numbers and all of that. And you're forgetting that you're talking about the Montreal Canadiens, who every time you say that they're going to get swept, they beat the team ahead of them. So, like, I, I feel like people should learn their lesson, especially people like in the Leafs uh, fan base and media. So and I knew like I, I didn't think that they were going to win game one. I thought they were going to win game two. And I knew it it was going to turn out i obviously didn't think that there was going to be an injury but i knew that it was going to turn out with some random goal like i knew josh anderson was going to score because for whatever reason he loves playing against the leafs i think he's from ontario and i knew that like the other thing was going to be so stupid and it was a shorthanded goal and paul byron looked like like connor mcdavid or ovechkin out there on that goal <laughs> right i knew that was going to happen but this is how the Habs do like you will beat them on the score sheet up until the point that you give them one tiny little chance and they'll get back into the game. 
and they'll get into a game that they don't deserve to be in. And that's, that's, that's for me. Um, like, it's just, you know, it doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter who the starting goaltender is. It doesn't matter who the forwards are. This happens every single time you predict a hab sweep. And, and so for me, I'm just like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to predict that. And I feel like Leafs and six seems reasonable. I feel like the Canadians can win one more game at least. Yeah. That's looking at how they kind of performed, even though like game two score was really bad in <laughs> from a house perspective, <laughs> but it's just like, they still gave the Leafs a lot of hell and like they continue to do it and like will haunt them even into like, they're going to go into the second round like fatigued against the Oilers or Jets. I haven't checked the game um, that's happening right now as we're talking. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. And I feel like with Montreal, there's no like there's never a season where like they go into the season where it's like we're going to win it all. We're contending. And that hasn't happened for a while. That's just from my perspective. Like, I don't know. Obviously, you're more connected with everything, but I just feel like there's nothing there hasn't been one maybe since like the Pacioretty, Subban, Price years of like, we could go deep kind of thing. Well, yeah. And and for me, I think it's not even the roster this year. It's the coaching. And, and I think that, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of the year when they won, I don't know how many, how many in their first 10, it seems so long ago in January when they came out with that amazing, uh, you know, that, that, that they scared everybody and people, you know, the word juggernaut was used and it was a bit premature, <laughs> but we thought, we thought that the rest of the division was going to be so bad that the Canadians were going to come second in the division and the least were going to run away with it. And then the Canadians were just kind of like going to come second and everybody else was going to kind of be around the same mark. Right. And in, in, in terms of like final points, and so but we knew that the roster was much improved on last year and when you look at little flashes of things that they do i often feel that if they had a better front office and a better coaching staff you could get a lot more out of these canadians i'm not going to say that they're you know a stanley cup winning roster i'm never going to say that until we we have we see one but they should not have limped into the playoffs if you look at the players that they have. And and even if you look at the game, like the last two games against Toronto, they've got better players sitting than there are playing, than they are <laughs> playing on the ice. And that's that's why I say, like, if you change the philosophy of this team, you the Canadians could get much further. They're not Stanley Cup contenders, but they would have come in second and maybe they would be the ones beating the Oilers right now. Yeah, and, like, I was going to bring up Cole Caulfield eventually, so that <laughs> definitely helps. Um but yeah, what's your stance on kind of just him sitting out right now? I think I get why the coach is doing it, and I get why uh, the prediction was from the beginning that he was going to play him in Game Three when they're at home and he has he's able to line match a, a, like a little bit easier, and they have the you know they have the last change, blah blah blah, all of that. I get that, but I also don't agree with it because in any tournament, like let's say you're picking players for the Olympics, you pick your best players. You don't pick this mm-hmm. guy. Like, like Chris Kunitz going to the Olympics will always drive me insane. He went over like Claude Giroux, you know? And so I just, I feel like that kind of thing, that kind of philosophy, or when back in the day when, when you know, P.K. Subban was like the second or third best defenseman in the league behind Eric Carlson. And you're looking and you're like, you're the question mark, like, should P.K. go? Is he going to be a healthy scratch? He's going to be a spare. And I'm just like, take your best players and that's the same thing in the playoffs the playoffs are a tournament it's the best on best quote unquote 
you take your best players and you put the best players on the ice. You don't put a guy because he's a veteran and he won a cup and whatever. He like poked Saku's eye out <laughs> 20 years ago or whatever. <laughs> you you take your best players. And that that always has to be your philosophy in something like this in the playoffs. And that's why it bothers me. And I, I get every, you know, he's new. He doesn't really play defensively, defensive minutes, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you saw their power play in game one. It was anemic. It not anemic. It was non-existent. It was bad. And mm. so, you know, you put offensive players, you saw like you, you can see Nick Suzuki's line is not doing anything right now. Why don't you put a player that played really, really well with Nick Suzuki? At least, you know, play him some of the shifts with Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli. That's that's why it's driving me insane. And I also feel that uh, Alexander Romanov has done a really good job this year. He's still very new. He's still, you know, making mistakes in the NHL and stuff like that. But he's so fast and so confident, plays so much better than some of the defensemen they have on there right now. So why they're not playing these guys, it beats me. And I really, really hope that we see them in game three. Yeah, and it's such a weird thing, especially for I find this in hockey more than any other um sport where it's just like the kind of ease to just like rest rookies and not play them at all or not like and really depend on chemistry like nhl coaches are just obsessed with like a lines chemistry where it's like if you're professional at like one of the highest level in your fields you should be able to do that thing with anyone else kind of thing like i don't know if it's just like you but like I so I've been paying attention to the Minnesota Wild because of the hockey wilderness and stuff, but just like Dean Evison, their head coach, is just obsessed with keeping the lines and like putting their his head in the sand when it's like any confrontation comes up with like you should maybe 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 Matt Boldy should make his NHL debut like during the playoffs because he's very good and famously <laughs> picked before Cole, Cole Caulfield. But uh <laughs> anyways, uh, I'm not sour about that or whatever. But um <laughs> Yeah, it's just like he's still very good and yes, he's going to be a rookie, but it's also like it's he's very like it's an offensive punch that they need against Vegas. Like it's no matter what, it's a very like especially in the playoffs where like you could just try things out. Like you're do or die. Like literally the Wilds game tomorrow is like they could get they're losing and then they get knocked out of the playoffs and their whole season's over. Like, it's just like, you might as well try. And if it doesn't work out, then at least you tried. And if you didn't do it and then you still get knocked out, then you kind of look like a buffoon. But I don't know. That's just my, <laughs> my mini rant of like how I'm feeling. Well, I, I totally get it though, but it's also like, I feel like there's some coaches that play to win and some coaches that play not to lose. Yes. And for whatever yeah. reason, you know, sometimes you can do that in the regular season. It's still not a recipe for success in the regular season, but exactly like you said, it's the playoffs. When else are you going to do it? This is when you have to be aggressive and you have to play to win because at the end of the day, especially if you're an underdog team facing a much better team or a team that has a much better, whatever offense underlying them, whatever it is that they have better than you, you have to take the risks because either way, if you're losing, you're going to lose at least, at least lose trying, at least get eliminated and say, we gave it everything we've got. You know, we did our best. And and you can't like, if you're not playing Cole Caulfield, you didn't do your best. You didn't try your best. You didn't be, you weren't aggressive and you didn't take risks. And that, that for me drives me crazy. And there's also like, um, you know, Jesse Marshall of the athletic he's Pittsburgh based. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had him on our show 
at some point in the middle of the season, like right after the coaching change. And he said something that to me, uh, it, it rang true. And I've sort of looked at hockey very differently through that lens since then. He said that, you know, he's convinced that when a coach has a system, if the system is failing, it's not the system that's wrong. It's the players themselves are failing to execute that system, which is like it, it, you know, to me, it was so illuminating because sometimes it's true. The players are failing to execute your system, but sometimes the system's the problem and you're trying to shoehorn. What do we call it? Is, is it shoehorn? You're trying to, yeah, yeah you're yeah, trying yeah. to shoehorn, you know, like, a defensive defenseman into being like, you know, an offensive dynamic, one of those, you know, I guess more modern type of NHL defenseman. And sometimes it doesn't work. And so I often look at this and I'm like, I wonder if that's just how coaches think. Like they think that, you know, Cole Caulfield made a mistake, then he's failing to execute the system. It's not that, you know, you should play him with a different line mate or a different minute or that or deploy like the deployment should be different. And, and the reason that I say this is because I've had so many questions this year about Dominique Ducharme's deployment, especially um, on the defense. And to me, it just it makes so much sense to me that the coaches are looking at, at it this way. And I think the thing that we often forget or maybe coaches forget that is that when you have an NHL roster or any kind of professional sports roster, the easiest thing to change is the coach. So whatever coach comes in, they have to look at all of their players. They have to look at the ability and they, ha they themselves have to be the ones to figure out how to get the best out of each player and, and, and how to shelter each player's weaknesses. Yeah, for sure. Is, uh, is Ducharme just the interim currently or is he listed as like the full-time head coach now no he's still got the interim title okay. and we don't expect it to ever become permanent well yeah i was gonna say like do you expect him even to last through the summer especially with like the coaching free agents right now that's out there um i don't honestly i don't know because uh mark bershevan kept uh mark uh michelle not mark michelle Terrian. Uh, on mm -hmm. too long and i feel like his leash with uh, Claude julian was too short i feel like he might have a blind spot when it comes to coaching but the interesting thing is joel bouchard who is the ahl coach and has done a phenomenal job yeah. with the ahl team like literally like he's sometimes i'll like listen to him talk in an interview and i'll be like how is this guy so brilliant and that doesn't always translate to nhl success but his contract is up and he said that he's he wants to wait until the Canadians are out of the playoffs before he reopens uh, talks for his future with the Canadians. I feel like the noises that he's making is that he's probably going to see if they want him in an NHL capacity. I think he's very happy with the AHL. And I think that he's the kind of guy right now, He's he's kind of like the hot up and coming coach. So, you know, it doesn't always work out like with Guy Boucher, it didn't work out with multiple mm -hmm. teams, but before he was hired by, I think it was initially the lightning first and then Ottawa, you know, he was the biggest name on the market and Joel Bouchard is that right now. So it, like I said, it could not translate to NHL success, but I would like to see the Canadians um, get him as a coach because I like the way that he talks about the game i like the way that he looks at the game and i like the way that he deals with each individual player because he tailors his advice and his um 
I guess his, what do you call it? You know, your off season training plan and all that kind of stuff. He tailors that kind of, um, assignment to the player's ability and he also has absolutely no time for anybody who doesn't buy into the system like you don't buy in you're either getting traded or you you don't get played and i think that that's you know that's really really uh rare that the canadians have seen uh overall in general in i guess their era of mediocrity i think a lot of times it's just does the coach speak french and does he have any kind of coaching experience and <laughs> all right, you can be the coach. But I think Joel Bouchard is like a very um, cerebral kind of coach. And he's, he's good at motivating people differently. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of also what you have to do in today's NHL. We talk a lot on our podcast where like, you can't, you can no longer be an offensive star or like a defensive defenseman, unless you're Alexander Ovechkin or Connor McDavid, you have to learn to be a little bit of a two-way player, no matter where you play on the ice, no matter what your position is. And I think with coaches, you need to be able to evolve with the game. You need to be able to change your approach. And that's why I think Mike Babcock is a terrible coach as opposed to a guy <laughs> like even Cole Julian evolved, right? Like I like to see like guys like Gerard Gallant. I feel like they're open-minded, they're studied, they try different things and they tailor their coaching to what their players are. They don't try to fit players into their own philosophy. And so, you know, Joe Bouchard is a guy like that. And I would really like to see him uh, be the head coach of the Habs. A lot of people don't think he's ready. I think that I would rather they try him than another year of Dominique Ducharme. But here's the thing. If the Canadians lose, he's going to be on the chopping block because Mark Bergevin spent to the cap. And, you know, it's either his job or the coach's job. And if the Canadians do get past the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's going to be such a huge (laughs) upset that he's going to stick around. They're going to give him another season or at least the beginning of a season to implement his own coaching style, which he hasn't had a chance to do this year. Yeah. That'd be uh, the worst thing about wing, I guess. <laughs> maybe he's a good coach and he, it's, it's true that he hasn't had time, yeah. right? Like maybe I'm wrong yeah. on this. It's just that they, you know, he's been, he's been the coach for half the season and I still have no idea what is that, what, what his deal is. And I think that that's, that's very telling. I watch every game and we talk about the Habs five days a week and I still have no idea what his coaching style is so, or his decision-making process. And so, yeah, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I, I don't expect the Canadians to win this series. I do expect him to be on the chopping block if they lose. Well, that's all we can look forward to. Um, speaking <laughs> of looking forward to, um, let's move on to the first segment of the show and kind of uh, a little bit more of while you're here. Um, so, Laura, could you tell the lovely audience uh, what you're listening to lately? Lately, I am on a war on drugs kick. And okay, yeah. yeah, well, it's a few things, right? So I've, I've kind of been rotating a few different um, a few different artists, I guess. And I don't know if like you guys are familiar with Apple Music, because I know most people like listen to Spotify <laughs> or they're on Spotify or whatever. But because my brother-in-law works for Apple, uh, I'm on their family plan. And uh, I have Apple Music and they have like artist essentials, right? So like every single artist, so like every once in a while I'll pull up. uh, Right now there's three different artists that I'm looking, that I'm listening to. One is War on Drugs, one is The National, and one is Kate Bush. And it's really dependent on my mood. Like there's definitely like The National I'll have on um, just to kind of 
keep me calm like when i'm having an anxiety day like whatever i'm doing whether i'm working or going about my day or whatever uh for whatever reason i just find it very grounding and the war on drugs is like when i want to feel some feelings <laughs> i just i for whatever reason i'm like i want to be sad but like i want sad guy music right um and it sounds it sounds weird because people would usually have that the other way around but for whatever reason i'm finding it different and then kate bush is when i just need to feel energized whether i want to clean or whether i'm falling asleep at my job or something and i want to i want to I want to shake things up a little bit. And that's been the last, I want to say like month or so that's, that's all I've been listening to. Is there like a specific album you kind of, uh, trend towards for like war on drugs, for example? Um, well, like I said, like the apples has like the essentials. So I'll just go through the essentials, but wait, hold on. Let me tell you. Okay. I just, I need to check like which album my favorite songs are on. Just give me one second. (laughs) And hopefully they don't start playing right now. Uh, (laughs) Oh, it's definitely Lost in the Dream. Yeah, that's the album. Okay. Yeah. That's got the one with the songs that I like the most on it. And that was their third album, I believe, right? I think I'm trying so. to remember. I, I'm not very familiar with War on Drugs, but just like peripherally kind of. Yeah. But I want to say that. Yeah. Have you ever uh, seen them live? No, I haven't. I'm like, like, I'm not, I'm not a super big concert person because I don't like mm-hmm. crowds. Oh yeah, that sucks. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I feel that's... like I would really enjoy them, but I've only been to a few. And and usually, what I'll go to is like sit down stuff. So at the Bell Center or something like. So like I've definitely mm-hmm. seen a Taylor Swift concert and things like that. But the kind of show where it's like you know it's all, everybody's on the on the floor and stuff. I I can't. I I have not been able to. And so, I have not seen a lot of the bands that I like live. Yeah, it's. It's overrated. It's fine. It's, uh... <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I just like. No, it's. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I just, I feel like with the pandemic, you know, people are like, life is short. Go out and do things that scare you. And I'm like, yeah, but this particular thing is is worse now because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm already crowds already suck for me, and then it's like the knowledge of, oh yeah, there's a pandemic, and like everyone's germs are around me now. That's just like heightens a little like just raises the levels of everything like oh great cool awesome to have that (laughs) yeah like uh i was even looking at some other like footage and just like of shows and i was like oh like i miss shows and stuff but then like even the like anxiety of like being around people right now or even like and sweaty too and it's all this stuff and it's like just that whole thing is just like not like i miss shows but also at the same time like that Maybe I don't, I'm not feeling that, like, that right now, honestly. I think it's going to take some time for everyone to be ready. Like, I know, like, a whole group of my friends, and I absolutely love this, is that they're just, they're so excited to get tickets and and, and see shows again. And I know a lot of my friends in the States are doing that. They're, They're booking their tickets for stuff. And I know in Montreal, the jazz festival has been moved. It's usually in July. It's been moved to September. And I know a lot of my friends are really excited about it. And I'm just like, nope. No, 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 not right now. <laughs> Maybe like years and years from now, I'll be okay. Yeah. But uh, but that was one of my biggest fears to begin with, like those crowds. So it was something that I'd worked on. I actually, I was really proud of myself when I went to um, to a show with a couple of my friends. They had an extra ticket because somebody canceled on them. 
they kind of sprung it on me in the last minute. And they said, do you want to go? And it was Death From Above 1979 and mm-hmm. some other band that I also didn't listen to. Like, it's it's not the kind of music that I listen to. But I was just so proud of myself for going. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I'm going to do this again. And then all of a sudden it was 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it just halted the progress right away. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely something that's, I, I think it's an experience that people should do. And, and I, I feel like if you really relate to a band, whether the sound just makes you feel really good or like you, you know, the lyrics are kind of, they, they call to you. I know a lot of people like to wallow with music. I'm not that kind of person. I would rather just wallow in silence. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I feel like if something makes you feel deeply about something like you should be able to enjoy it with the people that produce that art um and and i think that's the you know like how where else would be able to do that you could do that at the theater but i really like movies for example like i'm I'm super super into movies and so like you can't you can't really do that you're not going to show up at a set right like there's not open sets for for movies but like theater concerts that's the kind of stuff that you can actually enjoy with the artist that like created that thing that speaks to you and i think that's so cool it's just I haven't really been able to do that myself. Yeah, I guess I've never really thought of it like that. Like it's it's so different from like a live performance of something of their art compared to like this is a product that they did. And maybe like even if it's like a visual art, like say art gallery or whatever, like this is my artwork. But like the artist is standing right there, but it's not them painting. It's not like you get to see that live or anything. It's not like they're doing it in front of you. You just see the end product. Yeah. And that's kind of like movies and acting and stuff where, um, and that could be like albums, like albums could be a version of that. Like this is an end product of a lot of work, but then it's like that live performance is just totally, it's different. It's like, it's something that instead of feeling that is kind of sought after a lot and trying to reproduce really. Yeah. And it's also like, it's more raw and there are more flaws, right? Like, like albums are so well produced and so enhanced and edited and all that. But when you're like the artist and you're playing, like you're going to, you're, you know, you're going to drop a quarter whatever it is. And <laughs> I feel like the, you know, but just also, let's say you, you pull it off and it's flawless just looking at your audience enjoying that thing that you created like to me i feel like that must be such an amazing feeling in the world like you know let's say you make somebody laugh just think about that like little micro feeling you feel good (laughs) when you make someone laugh and then just like just magnify it by like billions like by factor of billions and i feel like that that's what it must feel like for artists and i just i feel like as a fan too right you know theaters communal um, and, and they're so like, or let's say a, a writer is reading from something that they wrote, they're reading it to you and they can watch your reaction to it and kind of get that feeling. Right. And I know that, that art is, you know, you should be able to create art for the sake of the art, but I, I, that's not how it works in, in our world. Right. Like in our world, you kind of create it for commercial reasons or in, 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 in this era of like, you know, everybody kind of sort of presenting themselves to the world like you create art to relate to people and you hope that it speaks to them and i just i find that that must be such an amazing feeling yeah maybe there'll be a live locked on canadians (laughs) one day one day when we have so many listeners that we'll have a live show um and it'll be at a like i already know it'll be at a brewery we'll like we'll have to find people that'll (laughs) let us uh you know have the show there and it'll be really funny because people will probably throw stuff at us (laughs) it's montreal it's okay (laughs) 
Uh, anyways, perfect. Um, let's move on to the second segment, kind of the main big piece while you're here. Um, uh, Laura, could you tell the audience what album you picked to talk to us about? I picked Rumors by Fleetwood Mac, uh, which I think when you asked, you're like, what album speaks? You're like, well, there are so many. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of felt a little bit out of my depth, to be honest, because I'm not like I love music, but I'm not one of those people. Like I said, like I haven't gone to shows and stuff like that. And, and also for a large part of my life, I've been so shy to talk about it with people because I know, you know, the, the gatekeeper kind of community. And oh, there's yeah. some people that are just like they're edgy and they're like, oh, you like that? And and you don't like this particular thing. And so like I, I mostly kept my music taste to myself. And I would often feel like if I wanted to say, you know, can you recommend music? I like this kind of thing. Like I was more afraid of being laughed at than getting recommendations. And so it took a long time for me to be able to like kind of think about it. And so like, when you're like, do you want to be on the show? I was like, no, I'm intimidated. <laughs> but then I thought about it and I was like, all right, what album do I know that I like and that I'm confident like is like is important to me? And it was definitely this one. And it obviously it was released before I existed. Um, and fun fact about me is I was very sheltered growing up and I also grew up in the Middle East and not in Canada. So uh, I didn't have access to a lot of pop culture, but the stuff that my parents were listening to before I was born was kind of always on or around in my house. Um, and so I definitely had access to stuff from the early 80s, from the 70s. You know, my parents were really into stuff. Uh, they were young, too, once. <laughs> so, uh, they, you know, they listened to music the way that we do now. And uh, and and so that was something that like I, I, I just remembered that that was music that I recognized elsewhere. You know, like when you when you're telling me about a band, like let's say in high school, people are like discovering music and telling you telling each other about it. Like I didn't really, I I didn't have that experience. And so like when I recognize music outside of of that little context, I definitely um, like I felt, I felt more part of it. I didn't feel as left out. I guess I don't know what to I, included might be a good word to to yeah yeah. yeah. And so and, and and also like I feel like one of the most romantic songs ever written is Songbird on that album. Um, and I absolutely for whatever reason, I just I can't hear that song without crying. It doesn't like I don't have an experience with a partner or anything like that with that song. I just I love it so much. And um, but also I also think the best song probably that people would credit them for writing his dreams, right? And that's on that album mm -hmm. as well. I don't know if, if 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 everyone kind of feels the same way, but I, I kind of feel like that's their most loved song, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Or like maybe Gypsy even. Ooh, Gypsy's kinda... such a good song though. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's such like, a good song. It's not on this album, but like that's, yeah. Yeah, or Sarah's um... also a really good song. And I think both of those are, are they on Tusk or I don't know. Oh, anyway. <laughs> They're not on I this like album. Go, yeah, the first Fleetwood Mac song I did hear was Go Your Own Way. And that's kind of like an iconic kind of anthem, I would feel like. That's a very common uh, single that they had. Yeah. And I think, so So this album, I think, mm -hmm. um, I want to say it was a breakup album of sorts. Like, I feel like I, I didn't research enough of the history behind this album which for whatever reason i just wanted to talk about my feelings um but 
I want to say that they all were going through uh, breakups at the time and they wrote all of these songs about that. Um, and that's, yeah, I, th I think, I think this is the album, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it's their breakup album. And <laughs> who doesn't love a breakup album? I mean, in the last couple of days we were talking about, uh, I think it's called Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Everyone's talking oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, a breakup album kids. is a breakup album. It's a breakup album. Yeah. doesn't matter who wrote it, right? Like the greatest artists in the world or the newest artists. And um, and, and so I just, I feel like the, because the, the album was just on a lot, and I won't lie to you, like I was very sheltered, yes, but I had a very happy childhood. Like, you know, I never, like our family never wanted for anything. We were very lucky. Like my dad had a good job, you know, they had their health and, and I didn't experience a lot of the hardship that a lot of the people like in my age group did. And even, even like my teenage years where it's like, you know, you feel self-conscious and you don't like yourself and all of that, even those I went through relatively unscathed and I didn't really, you know, I wasn't thankfully wasn't bullied as, as when I was young, like, yeah, like I got teased a little bit once in a while by random people, but I had like a really safe and happy childhood. Like I always felt that. And, and so I think that that's why this album kind of reminds me of that and makes me like, I love that, but it also just the emotions of like a breakup album. Like I, I didn't realize that until much <laughs> later, but I just, I love that, you know, when you, when you're faced with something like that in your life, whatever challenge it is, and usually in music, it's about love. Like, you know, you kind of like we, we were talking about, you create art, just, you know, like create something out of it, like get something out of it. It's really, really hard to do. So it, like, it's so, so impressive. And I know, you know, like I work a desk job and I do a podcast, right? Like if somebody broke my heart today, like I'm not going to throw myself into my desk job and, 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 and my podcast and come out with anything different than I do on a regular basis, right? Like my job is my job. The podcast is dependent on what the Canadians do. And I just feel like with, with things like music or writing and, and, and making movies, even like poetry, all of that kind of stuff, it, it's, it's very, very closely related to what you're experiencing in your life. And I think that that's just so, it's, it's so cool. Like everybody has a different story, right? Like, I don't know, like every, like does every single office worker do a different thing every day? I don't think so. Like, I, I feel like, you know, one of, one of my friends, uh, from the podcast network, actually, uh, Jay Foster was, uh, we, we were doing a, a podcast, an episode together on his show. And then he was like, okay, I'll let you get back to doing your capitalism. And I was like, that's exactly what I do. I do my capitalism <laughs> and the capitalism is going to be required of me, whether I'm going to break up or, you know, whether I'm happy or sad or whatever, like my job is the same. Whereas like with, with music, it's definitely not like that. Yeah. Otherwise you're just a cog in a machine, a giant capitalism machine. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah with uh with breaking up and stuff you could like turn your art into money which i guess is also capitalism but i'm sure it's like it's still it's still a fun a fun version of it and it's still like a a different more expressive like i'm sure it'd be it would be different if like it was more of a an early album like this was their first album or something and it was like a very like here's this kind of thing listen to this but like them being already an experienced band um when they made rumors and it just being like the cap off of like their amazing careers as a band together um was kind of crazy i feel like it's just like this product that like is left and i feel like it's probably one of like the most relatable and just accessible albums out there like that's what i've kind of walked away with is just like 
you no one can say that this is a bad album like no one can be objectively be like this is i don't like maybe that i don't like this but it's like i don't like this kind of music and not just like if you have any year for rock or pop it's like rumors is very very pleasing to the ear honestly well yeah that's the thing it's like if if you don't like it it's because it's not your genre like for example Mm -hmm. i don't like drake for whatever reason i don't (laughs) i know they're gonna kick me out of canada for saying this but like i i recognize that his art is good right like his music is good and i understand why so many people like it it's just not for me and it's like I, i i think he's extremely talented i just I, I don't enjoy that kind of music. I know a lot of people feel that way about country too. Like I, I don't find country. Um, I feel like I could find things to like in country music, but for whatever reason, however much I've tried, no matter what album it is or song it is, or I just, I can't get into Drake, you know? And so I just, I, I get that. I, I get why people wouldn't like it, but also the thing that we were talking about, like, like, you know, like a breakup album and turning it into something like, you, you don't even have to turn your art into money. I think creating something that everybody's able to relate to, like we've all been in that situation, right? At some mm-hmm. point, like by the time you reach adulthood, like or all throughout your adulthood, there's going to be breakups and your heart being broken in your life. And I just, I feel like creating something that other people can sort of use as catharsis as well is just, it's so powerful. And exactly like you said, they were already established and there's something so freeing about being able to do what you want because you're already commercial success and sometimes the best stuff comes out of there and i think for example uh and i feel like i'm kind of i'm trying to think of a movie that kind of expresses this where like a writer or a director has you know gotten all of their 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 um uh they've become successful. They've gotten the success part out of the way, whether it's commercially or critically. And then a studio tells them, all right, you're in the driver's seat. You do whatever you want with this picture. And some of the best stuff comes out of there, right? Maybe immediately I thought the Irishman. Ooh. But that just mean, might be like, I, f- I don't know. Like the backstory, I literally haven't seen it. I'm not a very big movie dude, but like I know that Scorsese is like, that was his thing. And I'm sure it being four hours long was his idea so <laughs> like maybe <laughs> yeah i mean so it was good and and it like for me i found it good i i thought it was long i i think it took me like a week to finish the whole thing but the whole time i kept acknowledging that you know this is so good like he's getting such a great performance out of this guy or this artistic choice mm. or this you know this setting and 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 things like that like when you when you have that freedom like you can sometimes your best stuff comes out because there's no executive saying we have to make this marketable so you need to put you know more white attractive people in it or something like that i mean the 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 conversation's never like that right like the conversation's always like we we need a more bankable name or something like that coded language yeah like accessible (laughs) hotness or something but you know like just the freedom to create what you want like a lot of good stuff comes out of there and it's just like and and even prestige television and things like that like if 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 the actual creative minds left behind them if they're truly talented 
and they're given that freedom, like a lot of really good stuff comes out. If they're, if they're able to hire the best talent as opposed to, you know, just whoever's like a big name or whoever's hot right now or whatever, if they're able to uh, write the storylines that they want to, instead of trying to follow a cliched arc that every drama must follow or whatever it is like, right. Like there's so many different examples. I'm rambling at this point, but that creative freedom that you have. And I feel like, a lot of the best music is like is, is that way as well where it's like all right you guys go away write what you want and we'll 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 put put it out and and you know i i, I think you know some some people have been able to get away with it and and it's like it's turned out some of their best stuff yeah definitely and like i even feel like i go the other way too like i don't know if the end product will be like bad but Chloe Zhao, for example, for a recent example of like Nobodyland was so good, and then like and then she was brought on to um, it was a Marvel project, yeah, Marvel. So it's like they just snatched her up and be like, oh yeah, do our do like now you're in charge of this or not even in charge, but like you're doing this franchise um, kind of thing. Where I don't know if it'll be good or not, and I don't really um, again like watch a lot of movies and have opinions of movies, but it's just like that's just the general consensus of like snatching up this like really good young talent and then be like okay now you're doing this series kind of thing which already has a pre-established um you know yeah yeah. and that's like whether the like it has to conform to storyline or not but i think one thing that you kind of have to keep in mind as well like when like when i'm watching marga because i love the the mcu movies like i said i love movies right i love the mcu movies and sometimes like I think it's really easy to watch a movie if you are familiar enough with the directors and see their mark on it and see what they were able to do with it. And a lot of the time, I think, I think that those people were able to impose their own creative vision no matter what. Like, so even though it's kind of formulaic and it has to follow a certain storyline or there's a certain over overarching storyline that they have to follow or chronology that they have to do which is very true of the mcu movies right they have to fit into a certain um like it's all leading up to a certain point but if you watch like the third thor movie for example like ragnarok it is in such a different tone than the first two and that one it it honestly like it still manages to propagate the storyline and and you know it still leads us to where we need to go and it still has the dark theme and the you know the the conflict and all of that but it's also very whimsical and so like where does that whimsy come in and it's you know the director was able to inject that and you can totally see it in their personality whereas you know if you look at like i don't know i'm trying to think of another director that 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 did one of these movies and it's like it didn't come out boring but it didn't have that like it wasn't able to successfully um it wasn't able to, I guess, make fun of itself successfully. And I think that the the third Ragnarok movie was able to do that so, so mm-hmm. well. And I think sometimes if, if sometimes if you're just if you're a good director, if you've got good leadership, if you've got a good grip on on your vision and you're able to, to um, you're able to communicate that vision to the people working with you, I think it comes out anyway. And, and sometimes I just I feel like it, it, it has to be you have to be established enough that people will listen to you and you have to be good enough at what you do that people will understand what you're saying when they are listening to you yeah yeah that's perfectly put kind of thing um yeah it's just a 
it's a feeling like it's just like being in charge of your own creative voice kind of thing and having that vision and um being able to kind of get people to accept that um and kind of moving away and curtailing back to the album i guess um one thing i was wondering is like when you mentioned this kind of album playing through your childhood like do you have certain tracks that like trigger memories or anything or just like certain songs that are just like put you immediately in that place or anything well you mentioned go your own way i find that Mm -hmm. for me i know it's a it's a breakup song but it always put me in a good mood like for it's a very cheerful breakup song isn't it it's it's very (laughs) freeing it's like all right go your own way do what you want (laughs) it'll be fine (laughs) everything's gonna be fine um i i also really like i feel like dreams the, the the one that what i think about is like being a high school teenager and like it makes me think of of that kind of angsty but you know like sort of not not self-deluding but like you're kind of you're still young enough to like create fantasies for yourself about who you are and what you're going to accomplish in life and i think that that's definitely it speaks to me that way i also really like the chain and Mm -hmm. i find that it's one of their best songs even though i know like right like Okay, which one would you say is their best song ever? It's is it Gypsy? I really like Gypsy, and it's very catchy. Maybe it's just because I've been listening to it and it's on a playlist. But, <laughs> um, yeah, like, but I do like the chain. Like the chains are very like it's different from that stuff. Like it's very it's dramatic. It's yes, that's a very per, that's a very good descriptor of it. It's very like theatrical yes uh, sense yeah Yeah. and it it, like it sets a specific tone and i really Mm -hmm. love that and i i I sometimes listen to that when i feel like i need to be psyched up about something you know (laughs) it's really just like raw raw right like just like (laughs) kind of getting behind it (laughs) yeah it's it's sort of like it's building up like some some conflict and tension in you when you're like you're getting ready to like you know go after something for me i think that's definitely one of them and like I said, Songbird for me is like, it's such a, like, it's a super romantic song. And it's like, I don't know, I get goosebumps. I get teary. I love listening to that song. And it's like, it's what I picture. Like if I were ever to, to write a movie, let's tie this all together into like my personality. I'm a writer. I like <laughs> movies. If I were ever to write a movie, like that song would be very, very prominent in like whenever the characters get together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, do you have any other like artists or albums that kind of your parents played through your childhood that just like immediately take you back or anything? Um, John Denver, <laughs> which okay. is like, so my parents, like we're Middle Eastern. Okay. Like we're very, and my parents are extremely, extremely immigrant. I love them so much, but they're, you know, they're, they're from a different place and a different generation, but that's the kind of stuff that they listen to. Right. And so my dad really loved John Denver. <laughs> we heard a lot of that in the car, which is really funny because again, I'm thinking of a movie now. And um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Logan Lucky. I know we're going to get into recommendations mm-hmm. later, but uh, Logan Lucky, definitely. So there's like a John Denver motif throughout the entire movie. Um, and I kind of, I felt that way. Like my parent, my, my dad loved playing John Denver in the car. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Like there's definitely, um, like he was also really into Christmas music. So like he's one of those dads that uh, will start playing Christmas music on like October 1st and <laughs> it just it keeps going until like February and somehow we didn't get sick of it but you know all of those like like Nat King Cole like every like every everything that you would consider like 
now, like what old people would listen to. <laughs> like that's, you know, it, it sounds awful. I'm saying it's all, but you know, like my parents are getting on in years, but yeah, like that's the kind of stuff that they would listen to. And obviously my mom was really into Arabic music and, and um, I'm trying to think of other things that my dad liked. He liked a lot of, uh, he also likes classical music, which is something that mm -hmm. I was never able to get into. And also some jazz. And I, I don't know why I, I recognize the value of jazz and just how good it is as an art, but I, I'm never able to get into it. I feel like music for me, it needs to get under my skin for me to enjoy it. Yeah, I kind of, I feel the same way, but then as speaking as someone that went to four years of jazz performance school, uh it like that's the thing like there's so much no, 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 talent not, involved yeah. right there's so much talent involved but i just i it's not it doesn't get into my veins like yeah i, I swear I, jazz gets brought up with a show a lot of just like some just an art form and stuff in general but like i do feel like you have to find the right artist to kind of get into like there's a there's a couple um that you kind of just like need to grab onto if it's very like i'm very this is going to get a little off topic, but like I'm very set on emotional music. So like it's very and like straight to the point. So like when I grew up, I listened to like a lot of hardcore and like hardcore punk and like that kind of very emotional that way. And then when I got into jazz is the same way of like very like fast, very like in your face kind of blowing and stuff. And just like, um, yeah, like it's you it's I feel like jazz and art form is so like diverse as well. Like it's it's that thing that you kind of need exposure to with different areas. But if you need any recommendations, I've already sent some out. Um, it's just like whatever, but yeah, it's if, if you want to get into it, whatever. Yeah, for sure. And that, no, like I, I have, I have a friend who's actually, she, um, she works in the UK and she manages, uh, our, uh, an independent label. Um, and, mm the band that she's in and the bands that she manages are all punk rock bands. And I was talking to her about something. I keep, I keep going, I keep going on about, there's something that I can't talk about. It's like, it's an upcoming project. Uh, oh. But, and, and I've been not sworn to secrecy. Like it, it's like, it's coming. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be really fun, but there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. So she's, you know, she's one of my uh, oldest friends. Also, you know, we grew up together in the Middle East and stuff, and she lives in the UK. And, and I was talking to her about it. And, and that's the thing is like, we could not be more different in terms of our tastes and stuff and, and our personalities and our lives, but we've always gotten along so well. And I was just talking and I was like, yeah. And, and, and also jazz, but I don't know anything about jazz, you know? And, and then I said like, and, and I, and I was like, yeah, and, and it's not cool person music like punk rock. And she got really mad, even though punk rock is her genre. And she was like, jazz is really cool, Laura. You just, you haven't given it a shot. <laughs> Enough of a chance. It's, it's, it's whatever people prefer, really. Like, if you just, you could just completely avoid something, and it's fine. And it's, no one's judging you. Like we said, like, no one's judging you on your tastes anymore. Like, it's, people could be into whatever they're into. Yes. And I just, I sometimes just, <laughs> I sometimes wish I was into more things is all. I feel like yeah. I could relate to more people that way. Uh, that's fine. Uh, anyway, speaking of getting into more things, uh, this is a perfect segue. One of the many that I've done, obviously, in this podcast. Um, Laura, could you tell, could you recommend something to the audience? Recommend a little book, a little movie, a little podcast, a little 
article that you kind of checked out recently. Just something just to take away from listening to this podcast episode and be like, okay, I'll watch that. I'll read that. Whatever. I've got so many. <laughs> do you want TV? Do you want a book? Uh, oh. Do you want a movie? What? Whatever you're feeling. Okay. Not too much, but not like not too little. All right. So uh, I'm gonna go with a TV show. It's actually okay. uh, really uh, low low commitment, I guess. It's called Made for Love, and it's on HBO Max in the U.S. and it's on I think Amazon Prime in Canada. And it's eight episodes, I believe. I want to say it's, okay. I think it's eight episodes, and they're each like uh, half an hour ish. Uh, it's a dark comedy about love, and if you like like weird dark comedies, it's brilliant. And I really, really enjoyed it. And that that's my one thing is like if you walk away from this, go seek that out. It's very low commitment. <laughs> you will enjoy it. That's perfect. I've been noticing a lot more coming from like the HBO kind of like max or the the extra shows and stuff and they've given a lot of like like we're it's literally tying to the show but a lot of creative license to like artists that are where like they probably saw netflix just producing the same like true crime docs over and over again um and like i feel like comedy series are kind of like it's hbo max now especially with like search party i just started watching shrill oh um, yeah that's a, a good Brian. one yeah yeah so like it's I feel like they're putting out a lot of good stuff. I have I haven't checked the Made for Love at all, but I probably will need to now. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. And again, it's it's very low commitment. You could do it like on a Saturday and and watch all the episodes and and it's it's very bingeable. And it it's there are some points you you know when you laugh out loud at something that's so absurd. Like there are so <laughs> many moments like that. And I just I I thought it was really well done. And. Uh, I hope it, it the, the indications are that there's going to be another season and I hope there is one. That's perfect. That's a, uh, yeah, that's good. Something to take away from it. Um, anyways, Laura, where could people find you and your uh, podcasts on the social media and stuff? So my Twitter <laughs> handle is the active stick and the podcast is at L O underscore Canadians. You can also find locked on Canadians anywhere you get your podcasts you can listen to that and if you follow me on my personal twitter you will find out what that upcoming project is really really soon i i'm hyping it up way too much i feel like it's going to be a letdown when people find out what it is but i'm personally very very excited about it uh so yeah so watch my space i guess for that yeah it feels good to be excited about a project like even like no matter how involved you are it's just like it's nice to just be excited to show the world something yes especially like. after the pandemic like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's it that's that's kind of i feel like been the biggest value to us like me and the other person collaborating on it is just mm -hmm. having that thing to plan and look forward to has just been so exciting yeah well anyways um now everyone that's listening to this has to follow and find out what that project is <laughs> um you could follow me at no satin with i don't have any special project except this podcast um and you can follow the podcast at big underscore shiny underscore goons uh follow like and subscribe on all the podcast platforms and so while you're rating and reviewing locked on canadians you could rate and review big shiny goons um again it helps and that's kind of the standard um line that has been used um but yeah and laura once again thanks for coming on the show thank you for thinking of me